0: And so we started last week a a series called Gospel Conversations. And we looked at last week, the first part of this series. We talked about that this conversation was a one-way conversation that was started by God. God started the conversation and we weren't talking. It was a monologue. God spoke first. And how did God speak first into humanity? He spoke by becoming one of us. He spoke to us through the incarnation, through God becoming man. Think about that. God becoming man. God, a high, a holy, a mighty, a sovereign God, humbled himself and became like us. This is the first step of of the conversation. God initiated that conversation. We talked about what that looks like and we unpacked the power of the incarnation last week. And now we're going to actually get into some conversations between the 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 God of flesh in Jesus Christ and different men and women throughout the Gospel of John. And so this is week two and we're going to look at a conversation that's one of the most profound in all of Scripture, so fundamental to everything that we focus on in Christianity is this story. And so but before we get to that I, I just have to to introduce what we're going to be talking about. You know, when you think about a birth of a baby, we had two babies that we dedicated. And they both were three months old. And if you go back three months, those babies, three months and however long their labor was, three months and a few hours, that baby was inside of their mother. And so the birth of a baby is challenging. Is it not, ladies? Would you say that it's difficult? Husbands, would you say that giving birth is difficult? No, it's one of the most exciting times of my life. I loved it when my wife was pregnant. I loved it when she had babies. I loved that moment watching a baby be born into the world. I mean, I just still can tell you, she has these lasting images of me during that time. It's just a smile, just would not get wiped off my face. I'm just laughing. I'm giddy because I'm just like, this is the miracle of all miracles. A life within a life think about that a life within a life that is sustained in fluid we if if we you take us out of the mama and you dunk us in water and leave us there for a few minutes we're gone but prior to that we we live in fluid we're sustained through the the umbilical cord our sustenance comes from our mama It's just an amazing miracle of God. And that's what what we're going to talk about this morning. The miracle of birth. But not just the miracle of birth, but the miracle of new birth. The miracle of new birth. And so here's what I want to say. I want to say that in this story, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he has a hard time understanding what it means to be born again because he's thinking about what it means to be born. And so we're going to unpack this story as we talk about the power and the miracle of the new birth. And so let's look at John 3. We're going to read just 10 verses of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Let's read the first 10 verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, Jesus said, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are are, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Are you the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, and you do not understand these things? And this is the title of my message, How Can These Things Be? How can these things be? Nicodemus is confused. Now who is this confused Nicodemus? Nicodemus was, as you see in the text, was a Pharisee. Now what do we know about Pharisees? Pharisees were, were the keepers of the law. They were the most religiously committed Jews to the law. They were the experts of the Mosaic law. They were the experts of the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they knew it inside and out. They had it memorized. These were Pharisees. They, they kept the law to the extreme. They created extra regulations and rules and customs that were birthed out of the original Mosaic law for the purpose of demonstrating their, their commitment to obeying God. Now, not all of the Pharisees were hypocrites. A lot of them were. And Jesus exposed the hypocrisy when you read through, through the Gospels. But a lot of them were committed and they, they believed that this was the way that they were to honor God by obeying the law and by not just obeying the Mosaic law, but by going to the, to the next level and creating customs and rituals that were based upon the Mosaic law. And so this is who a Pharisee was. So Nicodemus was a super religious man. And then secondly, the text says that he was a ruler of the Jews. So what this means is, is that he was not only a Pharisee, But he was a part of the ruling body called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were were 70 men... Who were who 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 did who kind of carried about and maintained the the law amongst the people of of Israel. They 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 took care of the law of God and then they dealt with the the the, the issues within the nation of Israel. This was the Sanhedrin, and so not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin. And not only was he a a a, a part of the Sanhedrin, but Jesus says that he was the teacher of Israel. Doesn't say that he was a teacher. He said he was the teacher of Israel. So, so Nicodemus was a very prominent man. He was very influential, and he was probably very, very wealthy. So this is who Nicodemus is. This is the man that is coming to Jesus at night. And this is what we see. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack what we just read in those 10 verses, knowing who who Nicodemus is, knowing his background, what can we learn about the gospel? This is the point of this series, gospel conversations. What can we learn about the gospel and about our Lord Jesus through this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus? So I want to highlight the first part of verse 2 in John 3. Let's put that back up. John 3 verses 2. What does it say there? This man is came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. So my first point, the first thing we're going to pull out of this is is simply, daytime or nighttime, come to Jesus. Daytime or nighttime, come to Jesus. So why why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? There's really no other clues there that we can look like. It doesn't explicitly say why he came at night. It doesn't say he came at night because of this reason. But we can look at some context clues. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was influential. He would have been wealthy. And so I believe that he came to Jesus at night because it would have been a risk for him to come to Jesus during the day. Because he would have been ridiculed by his fellow Pharisees. And if you look at some other context clues, you fast forward to John chapter 7. And Jesus defends excuse me, Nicodemus defends Jesus in John 7 and looks at his Pharisee buddies and, and, say, and says, shouldn't we abide by the law concerning this, this Jesus? And his Pharisees buddies say, you know that it's written that no prophet comes out of Galilee, is born from Galilee. And they look at Nicodemus and they say, are you from Galilee too? They kind of mock Nicodemus. And so you see a picture there that would, that would have been some intimidation between him and his Pharisee buddies. So I believe that's why Nicodemus came at night. I believe he came at night because of who he was as a leader. To be seen in public meeting with such a controversial person. Would no doubt bring him difficulty in his relationships with his Pharisee buddies. So here's a question for you. Have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever struggled associating with Christ around certain people? I've, I've been there at certain times in my life as a kid. And as an adult, there's times which, when we feel intimidated to associate with Christ. And here's Nicodemus. He's not sure who he is. He sees that he's doing great works and great miracles, but he's not fully convinced yet. So he's kind of unsure. So he's kind of, he's going, he's going to go at night because he's kind of fearful. But I think we struggle with that from time to time as well, even as believers associating with Christ, letting people know that we are believers in Jesus Christ. And so if we shouldn't be too quick to judge Nicodemus because I think we can struggle with that as well so the thing to think about in this story is not the reason why he came at night to see Jesus that's not what we need to think about and it's not that we should think about why didn't he come during the day that's not the point here's the point the thing to think about in this story is that he came to see Jesus that's the point what we should think about in this story is that he came daytime or nighttime. Come to Jesus, Nicodemus. Daytime or nighttime. All of us, we should come to Jesus whenever the time is. So here's my question: When is the right time to seek Christ? Always. Anytime. When is the time of salvation? Right now. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've not confessed Him as your Lord and your Savior. When is the time of salvation? Daytime. Or nighttime. Anytime. Come. To Jesus, pursue Jesus. This is what we see about the gospel. This first portion of this story, this is what we see about the gospel, is that at all times we come to Christ. Second Corinthians 6 1 through 2 says this. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now, say that with me, say now now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Daytime or nighttime, what do we do? Come to Jesus. Pursue Jesus. I think in in our world today, we need in our church today, not just in our church, but I think in all churches, we need a return to an understanding of the urgency of Christ's call to those who are not in relationship with Him. We need a return to the urgency. Christ is calling. He has, he has initiated the conversation. He, he has come and He has says, I am here. I have provided salvation. I have provided forgiveness. I have provided a way of restoration between God and man. Here I am. I have pursued. Now come. Now come. And I believe we need a return to a sense of urgency. Of, with the gospel, that we we should continually plead with people to make the call to come, daytime, nighttime, whenever, come to Jesus. Respond to Jesus. Our world is broken. You do you see it with me? We talked about this last week. Our world is so broken, and it's on display in so many ways. Our world is so broken, and in desperate need of healing that can only come from Christ. You know, I, I get so so. I I I was going to say discouraged, but I guess really it's not discouraged. It's just more just sad when I look at the world, look at the things that they pursue. When, when, When I see the pursuits that I see that people take through social media or I see it on TV or through movies, I just see things, pursuits in people's lives that don't know the Lord. And it's just so heartbreaking to see the path that they're on. And they believe that these are paths that will lead to peace. They believe that there are paths that will lead to, to healing in their life, internally, to be whole. Isn't that what people want? They want to be whole. They want to be complete. That's what they want. And so they look for it in so many places, so many things, so many people. They're looking for it in people and in places. And what does Jesus say? Daytime, nighttime, at any time, come to me. Come to me. That's what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He said it. What did he say? Come to me. To me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear that? You hear that compassion from Christ? He's saying, come, come to me. But he uses this interesting word, he, this interesting phrase. He says, come and be yoked to me. Take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? What's the the purpose of this? What's he saying here? And what he would have been referencing here is what what would happen whenever two oxen are plowing in a field. You'd have an an older oxen, a more experienced oxen, who has plowed the field many, many times. He's plowed the field, and now they want to train a younger oxen. And I have a picture to show you what that would look like. This would be a... I don't know which one is the more uh, 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 experienced oxen. Maybe somebody that knows how... Their horns face. I don't really know. But I just know that one of them is experienced and one of them is not. And what they would do is, is they would put a yoke. That's what that is. That wooden contraption. It's a yoke. They would yoke the younger oxen to the older oxen. And whenever the older oxen would begin to plow the field. That wherever the older oxen would go. It would be like this, you know, this jerking thing. Like the, the, the younger oxen doesn't know. And so to me when, when, I, when I thought about that. And I thought about what Jesus would have been referencing. I thought that's exactly what the world is experiencing. They are yoking themselves to so many things in this life that, 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 that they're looking for peace in their heart. They're looking to be whole and be complete, but they're yoked to so many things that are jerking them around, that are, that, that are bringing them on this ride of, of pain, that, that, that they're thinking there's going to be peace there, they're thinking there's going to be hope there, but it's really just they're being yoked around, they're being pulled around, they're being jerked around. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Matthew 11. Listen to what Jesus says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take take my yoke not the world's yoke not the world's ways take my yoke upon you and what does he say here learn from me learn from me I want to teach you the ways of peace for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light isn't that good That's what Jesus is saying. Daytime, nighttime, come to me. Be yoked to me. And so I want to say this to all those who have never been yoked to Christ. You never come under the authority of Christ to be yoked, connected to him. Come to him. And if you're a believer here today and you have stepped out from under that yoke of Christ and and you've lost your rest and you've lost your peace, come to Christ. Quit trying to do the Christian life on your own. Quit, quit. Quit this idea of I'm moving on from the gospel. I got saved. I'm good to go. Now I'm going to move on from the revelation of the gospel. No, it's the gospel in the beginning. It's the gospel in the middle. And it's the gospel that sustains me all the way to through until I meet Christ. We stay yoked to Christ. When we are yoked to earthly things, it's difficult to find rest for our souls. The things of this world that claim to bring rest for our souls are really only hard taskmasters. Jesus is saying, unhook yourself from false sources of peace and rest. Yoke yourself to me because I am gentle and I'm not a hard taskmaster, and I will teach you the pathways of peace. Amen? Daytime or nighttime, come to Jesus. Come and surrender yourself to the yoke of Christ. This is what we see at the beginning of the story. Nicodemus came at night. And it doesn't matter to me whether he came at night, he came in in, in early morning, in the afternoon. The fact is that he came because Jesus is calling. Let's go back to the text, John chapter 3. Let's read the next section there, the second part of verse 2. It says he came to him at night and Nicodemus said to him, "Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him." Verse 3, first part. Jesus answered him. Jesus answered him. So here's what we want to pull out of here. Here's the thought firstly, daytime, nighttime, come to Jesus and number 2, secondly, come to Jesus just as you are. It doesn't matter How you get there, how you get there, however it happens, come to Jesus. And here's the picture. Come as you are. Come as you are. We're going to unpack this. I'm going to explain what that means. Come as you are. Do you see what's interesting here? Nicodemus says, Rabbi. He speaks in the terms of honor to Jesus. He called him a teacher. That was a a term that Nicodemus would have been called. So he calls Jesus by the same uh, term of honor. He says, Rabbi. We know that a teacher, you're a teacher, come from God. For no one can do these signs. He's seeing the miracles and says, you have to come from God. Because no one can do what you're doing unless they're from God. And listen to the next part of that phrase. Jesus answered him. Did Nicodemus ask a question or did I miss something? Did he ask you a question? I didn't see a question. Did you see a question? He didn't come and say, Rabbi, how can we know that you are from God? He didn't say that. He said, we know that you're from God because you're doing all of these works. You have to be from God because no one comes from God. unless no, no one can do these signs unless they are from God. And Jesus answered him. So here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I see in this section is that Jesus knows our questions before we ask them. He's not waiting for us to have all the answers figured out before we come to him. We come as we are, daytime, nighttime. We come at all times, and we come with our questions. We come with our concerns. We come not having it all figured out. How many of you here this morning, when you got saved, you had it all figured out? There'd be nobody in here, right? How many of you have ever had life figured out completely? Not even the greatest theologian that's ever walked the planet has life completely figured out. That we come as we are. And I love that Jesus answered him. What was he answering? He was answering a question that he knew was in the heart of Nicodemus. Let's go back. This is John 2. This is right before the story of Nicodemus. This is the end of John 2. This, this actually should be the beginning of the story of Nicodemus. Listen to this. Now, when, when, when he, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. Listen to this. For Jesus himself knew what was in man. And then it says, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus at night. Jesus knew what was in man. And here's the picture. Nicodemus comes. He doesn't come with a verbal question. He comes by his presence. He comes and, and, and he tell, he declares to Jesus, you must be from God. And Jesus probes all the way down into his heart. And we're going to see the answer as we, as we move on in, into this story. What was Nicodemus really after? But, but here's the point. Jesus cares enough to care about what you care about. Do you believe that? Here's, here's what I saw. The picture is this, is that the seeker who is God is seeking the seeker. The seeker who is God is seeking the seeker who is Nicodemus. He's pursuing him. He's going after his heart. This is a picture of the compassion of Christ. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is who our Lord is. He is patient with us. Psalm 103.8 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is our God. He's waiting for us to come daytime, nighttime, at any time, and come just as we are because He's merciful and gracious. I love God. The intentionality we see in Jesus with Nicodemus. He meets with Nicodemus and he didn't have to. He could have told Nicodemus, see you later, bud. I'm going to bed. It's nighttime. Why aren't you with your family, man? Like, go. I'm sleepy. He, he could have done that. But he didn't. He met with them. He meets with Nicodemus and he didn't have to. He takes the time to have a conversation with him, and he didn't have to. He knows what's in Nicodemus's heart. He seeks to answer the underlying question that he has. And he didn't have to. But he does because that's who Christ is. God knows what Nicodemus needs. And he has compassion on him by answering the questions of his heart. Nicodemus thinks he was the only one doing the seeking. But in actuality, Jesus was seeking as well. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? It's another profound account. It's a parable that Jesus tells. It's a parable. It's a story, a a picture of the gospel. And here you have a son. He squanders his living. This is a a story Jesus made up to illustrate the love of the father and the power of the gospel. And so this son, he goes to his father and he says, father, give me my inheritance now. He basically tells his father, I'd I'd rather you be dead. The, the, The money you can give me is worth more to me than your life. So the father gives him the money. He goes off in Luke 15, the story goes, he wastes all of his money with riotous living and, and he blows it all. And now he's at the bottom of the ladder. He is, he's, he, he's homeless. He's about to eat the, the food that pigs eat and he comes to himself. Now when he comes to himself and he realizes in a moment I have it better at my father's house. Did he have to get all cleaned up? Did he have time to go take a shower? Did he have time to get all of his ducks in a row? Actually, he was working out his speech on the road back to the father. He's saying, this is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it. And you know what the picture is? You know what happened? It says in Luke 15, it says that the father saw him afar off and began to seek him, began to run towards the son. He didn't have his speech. He tried to get his speech out of his mouth. And the father said, no, 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 no. Get the best robe. Get a ring. Get sandals. Put it on his feet. My son who was lost is now found. The seeker was seeking. The seeker was pursuing after because he's full of compassion. And so just like the the prodigal son came to Christ as he was, so we should come to Christ as we are. The gospel is a call to come to Jesus. Daytime. Nighttime. Come to him. And come just as you are. Jesus already knows who you are. He already knows who you are. He already knows your questions. And you know what? He already knows your sin. You know, we we think we can hide things from God. He already knows your sin. He already knows your weaknesses. He knows your frailty. You know, I was thinking about this point with with my kids. We can often relate to God like our kids relate to us. You know, our kids think that we don't know. You ever experienced that with your kids? They think you don't know. Have you seen that commercial that's been playing during the NBA finals? Been watching the NBA finals? And... um, so they have this commercial with Chris Paul and they're advertising the Men in Black movie that's coming out. You seen the one with Chris Paul with the eyes behind his head? Have Y'all seen that? Isn't that creepy? So you got the actor that's back there talking to Chris Paul and so they're basically looking at each other and Paul is saying, I see you. And the actor's saying, I see you. I see you. I see you, right? Isn't that the picture of what moms tell you when you're growing up? A mom has eyes in the back of her head. He, he, she sees everything. And this is what... I think happens, the kids our kids think that, 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 that we don't know, that we don't see. And so sometimes our kids will be fearful to come to us. And we really we just want what's best for them. We want them to we want them to be healthy. We we we, we 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 want them to pursue God and if they've made a mistake, we want them to come to us, right? I don't want my son or my daughters to go some other place. I want them to come to me. Why? Because I love them with all of my heart and I want them to come just as they are because I've been there. I've experienced it. I know what brokenness is. I know the pain of sin. I know what it's like to run from God. I know what it's like to make bad decisions. Anybody ever made bad decisions? And I think that that's what we do with God sometimes. Even as believers, we think, well, I just really can't come to Christ. I can't come bring my burdens and my concerns and my cares because I've just really blown it. The gospel is for you. It's for you. You you come at all times. You come if you don't know Christ. You come if you know Christ. And most importantly, you come as you are. You come with your issues. You come with your struggles. You come with your fears. You come with your fears. Just as I am, I come. Amen. I want to read the lyrics to the old hymn, Just As I Am, written by Charlotte Elliott in 1835. Listen to these words. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am through tossed about, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am poor, wretched and blind, riches Healing of the mind, yes, all I need in Thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, Thou wilt receive, Your welcome and pardon, cleanse and relieve. Because Thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, Thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be Thine, yes, Thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Amen. Daytime or nighttime, come to Jesus. That's what we see in this story. Nicodemus came. And he came with his questions. Come to Jesus just as you are. So the question now is why? Why come to Jesus at all times? And why come just as you are with your questions, your concerns, your fears, and your worries, and your doubts? Why? Third point, because Jesus knows what we need. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. Have you ever told somebody what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear? You ever seen that, that young man playing a sport, or a young girl playing a sport, and they love it? They're so passionate. They love basketball. Let's say they love basketball, but they're four foot two. And you're just like, okay, let me break it to them. They're not coordinated. Brother Freddie, have you ever had that conversation with somebody? It's hard. They're passionate. They... They love basketball. They love whatever sport they want to be a part of. But you've got you to have a conversation because you know what they need. They want to hear something else, but they need something. Maybe it's somebody singing. You ever heard somebody? You know, they have the whole American Idol show was based upon that. So we could laugh, un- unfortunately laugh at people like myself who can't sing. I took it personal. That was me. That was me on that show. You would have been, you would have been laughing at me. Shame on you. I was laughing too. I was laughing too. But but, but, what what does somebody like me who could possibly be deceived about my singing ability, what do I need to know? Not what I want to hear, that I'm amazing and awesome, I have it all together, I have an amazing voice. What I need is for Simon Cowell to look me in the eye and say, you are are the worst singer that I have ever heard in my entire life. Because that's what he would say. Because they needed to hear that. Jesus knows what we need. Why do we come to Jesus daytime or nighttime or at, or at any time? Why do we come just as we are? Because Jesus knows what we need. Let's go back to the text, John 3, the, first, the second half of verse 3. Let's start there. Truly, truly, now Jesus is going to answer the question. He says, Jesus answered him. And here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Obvious question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born again. Here's what I want us to say. Here's what I want us to see here. Nicodemus had no context for what Jesus was trying to tell him. He didn't understand that, and you see it. He says, he says Jesus, you're telling me that I've got to be... Born again? Are you saying that literally I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? That makes no sense. And then Jesus looks at him and says, don't marvel that I told you that. I know it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't make sense. It's not what you want to hear. But I'm telling you what you need. This is what you need, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. And here's where Nicodemus was. Nicodemus, along with all those who are trusting in themselves for righteousness, need something more than just conformity to a set of religious commands. And Jesus knows that about Nicodemus. That's why he's telling him this New Testament truth about being born again. He's saying, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You're trusting in the wrong things. So here's what the phrase born again means. The phrase born again literally means to be born from above. To be born again means that you are born from above. Above. So what is Jesus telling Nicodemus? He's saying that you can be born again, born from above, and become a child of God. That's what we see in John 1. He came to his own. Jesus came to his own, to the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the, of the will of man, but of God. What is, what is that saying here? What, we, what you need to know about Nicodemus and all Jews during this time for sure is that they trusted in their heritage and their lineage for righteousness, for being right with God. So for Jesus to tell Nicodemus you need to be born again, that was an affront to him. That was offensive to him. I'm born in the right family. My father is Abraham i 'm come from the right seed. What do you mean i got to go back into my, to my mother's womb and be born again? That, 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 that's offensive to me. Nicodemus would have thought, why do I need to, to be born again to enter the kingdom of God? I was born into the right family to be entered into the kingdom of God because my, my father is Abraham. Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus is a picture of the person who is trusting in something other than what God requires. Nicodemus, Specifically, was trusting in his physical and spiritual heritage and lineage for righteousness. Someone might say, "Well, people don't do that today." I would say it happens all the time. You have people, you have people who say, "Well, it was my parents' faith. It's my grandparents' faith. Well, I got baptized as an infant in church, or it's just something I've, I've inherited." And, and, and there are people who believe that they're okay with the Lord because they, they, their parents went to church, their grandparents went to church. It's just something that they did. It was just a religious experience, and they were born into the right family. This is what Nicodemus was thinking. But here's what I want to say. There is no such thing as an inherited relationship with Christ. Just because your parents were Christians and your grandparents were Christians, your aunt, your uncle, your brothers, your sisters, just because you went to church does not mean that you became a Christian by osmosis. How do you become a Christian? You believe. You believe. You come to Jesus daytime, nighttime. You come as you are and you believe in Jesus. And this is what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see. He's trying to get Nicodemus to detach himself from his trust in his heritage and his legacy. That he is the seed of Abraham. He's trying to get him to detach from any source of spiritual strength towards righteousness apart from Christ. So we, we can't place our trust in anything other than Christ for salvation. Can't place trust in heritage, in baptism, in wealth, in good works, in church attendance, in generosity. None of those things can we place our trust in. Being born again means we die to every earthly attempt at reconciliation with God. And this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He needed to hear this. He needed to hear this. Do you remember the conversation in John 8 that Jesus had with the Pharisees? They were upset at Jesus because of the miracles he was doing. They were upset at Jesus because he was saying that he could forgive people. And so the Pharisees in John 8 begin to have this conversation with them, with Jesus. And they tell Jesus, our father is Abraham. Because Jesus is talking about his father and how he comes from his father. And then Jesus looks at him and says, your father is, is the devil. You come from your father, the devil, because if you came from Abraham and you were following what Abraham followed, you would believe in me because Abraham believed in me. Abraham looked ahead to my day. And so they, they, they thought he was blaspheming. And so ultimately, Jesus eventually said that before Abraham was, before Abraham existed, I am. And so this says that they picked up stones that day to throw at Jesus to kill him. Same Pharisees that Nicodemus would have been associated with, and this is what Jesus knew. Nicodemus needed to hear: You have to leave all of your trusts, all of your other trusts, all the other things that you're leaning on, Nicodemus. You get to place all your trust in Me. And here's what we need. Here's what we need. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from who? Is it from our heritage? Is it it our inherited faith? Is it our good works? Is, is, Is this where the new creation business comes from? No, all of this new creation business, the old passing away, the new coming, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And so this is what Jesus knew Nicodemus needed. And he knows that's what we need. Day or nighttime, we come to Jesus. We come just as we are because he knows that what we need is to be born again. We must be born again. And so Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can this be? And here's what I want to tell you. How can it be? How can somebody who is spiritually dead be brought to, back to life? How, is, how can it be that somebody who's addicted to drugs or alcohol, who's enslaved to sexual sin, how can it be that somebody that wants nothing to do with God, how can it be that somebody maybe is an atheist, how can it be that, that, that somebody who wants nothing to, to do with God can be born again and pursue him, pursue him with all of their heart? How is that possible? How can that be? Number four, because salvation is a miracle of God. Because salvation is a miracle of God, not man. Okay. That was your, your praise break. Your clap break. That was the moment that you Yeah, this is it. But here no, no, no. I I know why no one clapped. Because I've been preaching for a little while, you're tired, you're hungry, my belly's growling. But I actually know why we didn't respond. Because we we don't really see it as a miracle. Why why don't we see salvation as a miracle, really? Because we see it as something we do. We do. People walk an aisle. They pray a prayer. Okay, they did that. They didn't do that. God did that in them. Salvation is a miracle of God. You don't pursue God on your own unless God seeks you first. So we don't see it as a miracle because we don't think it's a miracle. We think we're, you know, we're kind of cooperating with God. God does his thing and I'll do my thing and we're going we're gonna to work it out. That's works righteousness. It's a false system of belief. Salvation is a miracle of God. Listen to what Jesus says. This is just crazy. If Nicodemus wasn't confused already, Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. He says, how is that going to happen? I've got to enter into my mother's womb again. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to explain it to you. Listen to this. The wind, it blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you, yet you do not understand these things? What is Jesus trying to communicate to Nicodemus with this analogy about the wind? That salvation is God's work, not man's. Salvation is God's work, not man's. Salvation, being born again, is a miracle of God. He's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't add anything to this. You can't add anything to salvation. There is nothing you can do to make this happen. You know, I think people today, they often ask if God still does miracles today. Like, okay, does God do miracles today? I've had somebody ask me just recently. We've had some tragedies in our church and had somebody ask me. Had somebody ask me, does God still do miracles today? And so and I know what they're asking. They're asking, does God still heal today? Because here's, here's, what, here's what we see. We see we see some people are healed and some people are not healed. And they want to know why is this person healed and why is that person healed? A lot of times you answer difficult questions like that by stating the obvious. The person that was not healed, it wasn't because they didn't have enough faith. It wasn't because they didn't pray enough or believe enough. You guys know that? There's no system of belief you can adopt for yourself while you're praying for your loved one and believing for their healing that's going to get it done for you. It's God. So when we come to God can he do a miracle absolutely so here's my answer here's what I told the person that asked me yes god can heal today and he does he does miracles but here's what we do when we come before the lord we come with an open hand we come we say lord i'm not god i don't know i, I don't know what your will is in this situation I come and I ask, God, my desire is that this person would be healed, that there would be a miracle. I come with an open hand and say, Lord, move in this life. Please move in this life. We come surrendered in prayer. That's prayer. Come say, God, this is what we request. The rest is up to you, Lord. But here's the disconnect. Here's what I think we get mixed up. Is that we don't think salvation is a miracle. We don't think salvation is a miracle because, because we are only thinking about miracles when it comes to our physical life, and so when we're praying for when we're praying for, hear me, when we're praying for miracles today, it's because we we want our physical bodies healed. It's because we want our physical situations to be changed. And yes, we should do that. The Book of James says that if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church and anoint them with oil. Pray the prayer of faith. Believe and pray. But you know what the Scripture says in Psalm 103, fifteen through sixteen. As for a man. His days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. What does that mean? It means that we're all dying. We're, we're, we're like the grass of the field. We fade, we die, we wither. So you know what that means? It means that here and now is not what is most important. And so when we pray for miracles, the greatest miracle that we should pray for is the miracle of the salvation of the soul of any man, woman, boy, or girl. Because what we know is true, hear me, what we know is true is that what lasts forever is not the physical body. What lasts forever is their spirit in eternity. And so when we pray for miracles, do miracles still happen today? Let's retrain our thinking. Do miracles still happen today? Absolutely, because you are here. Amen? Miracles happen today because you're here. Think about your life. Think of what you used to be like. Think about how you wanted nothing to do with God. Think about the time that you were, you were in your party life. Think about the time that you were addicted. And think about the time that you were, that you were running. But now you're here. I can, I can see your faces. I'm looking at your faces. I know some of your stories. God does miracles today. He's in the miracle working business. He does them every day. And the greatest miracle is to see somebody translated from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Amen. 1 Peter 1 3 through 9 says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Who's caused this? He. Salvation is a miracle of God. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled. It's not like the grass that, that fades, right? It's not like us who dies. This inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading, kept in heaven for you. We need a return in the church to a doctrine of heaven. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I just want to say this. I just want to say, we got Charlotte Dale here. and We have Bo Stevens here. Bo Stevens' sister died, and Will Dale died. And you know what's true? They obtained the outcome of their faith. They are now experiencing the glories of Christ right now. Amen? Through the miracle of salvation. Through the miracle of salvation, now they are in heaven. And you know what? That's where we're going. I'm ready. Are you you ready to go? The Lord takes me right now. Let's go. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? All right, I'm going to keep preaching. I've got to stop. God is still in the business of doing miracles today. He's still in the business of calling dead people back to life. How can these things be? Because salvation is a miracle of God. Amen. stand your feet with me. Amen. Salvation is a miracle of God. There's some of you here today. You need that miracle. You need the miracle of the new birth. How can, how can somebody be born again? It can happen right now. Happen right now. John three sixteen. You go on after the conversation with Nicodemus. You go to verse 16. What does Jesus say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him. What do we do? We don't save ourselves. But what do we do? We, we believe. That's it. We simply believe. So if that's you and you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to dismiss in prayer. And we will have the pastors will be down here. And if you want to come and pray with one of our pastors to receive Christ, we'll be here with you to to pray that prayer with you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, that salvation is a miracle of God. I thank you that that you are doing a work. You have done a work in our our lives and you're continuing to mature us and grow us. I thank you for what we're learning about about the gospel and the power of the gospel and I pray Lord that those that don't know you today that they will come and they will come and pray if they don't come and pray with those that are down here Lord let them let them find somebody to connect with to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ or draw people to yourself we pray this in Jesus name amen amen I love you and you are dismissed